Welcome to the Gift of Giving Life podcast, where we talk about the spirituality of pregnancy and birth. All types of birth can be spiritual, and I'm happy to spend some episodes focusing on cesarean births. Be sure to check out the first episode of this season, where I share an excerpt from the book entitled Tips to Create a Sacred Cesarean. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. I am so excited to read you this birth story today by Christy. She was planning on a natural birth, but her baby was persistently breech. It was really interesting watching her journey as she had to make some tough choices in regards to her baby's birth. I was friends with her online as she was going through this process. And then once she had her baby, I was excited to read her birth story and see how in the end she had a positive birth experience despite not being able to have her original desires of a vaginal birth. Here is her story. I had always assumed that I wanted a standard hospital birth with all the pain relief trimmings until I was in my third trimester and started doing a little more research. Then I realized it was better for baby and mommy if the birth was natural, with as few interventions as possible. So I started preparing for a natural unmedicated birth by using the HypnoBaby's home study program. At 28 weeks, I switched from my OBGYN to a certified nurse midwife group who were very supportive of natural birth in a hospital setting. Rosie had always been breached at her 12-week, 20-week, and 27-week ultrasounds. I was told not to worry as only a very small percentage of babies remain breech at full term. All the same, I started doing exercises from spinningbabies.com, which were designed to encourage breech babies to turn head down. At 34 weeks, one of my midwives felt my stomach and said that the baby was head down. She advised me not to do any more baby turning exercises since my baby was in the correct position. I stopped doing the exercises, happy and confident about my upcoming birth because my baby was ready to go. At my 35-week appointment, a more experienced midwife, the one I had originally chosen as my maid midwife, but I had seen all the other midwives for appointments so that I would know them all and be comfortable with whoever ended up being on call when I was in labor. Well, when she felt my stomach, she said she was pretty sure she felt Rosie's head up near my left ribs. I asked her to confirm it with an ultrasound since the previous week I had been told the opposite. And to me, the baby's position in my stomach felt the same as before. She did a quick ultrasound, and sure enough, Rosie was breached. She informed me that whether you do nothing or whether you try a lot of other strategies, 80% of babies will turn before you go into labor. At that point, I felt really worried about whether or not my dreams of a natural birth would be possible or not. I started going to a chiropractor weekly, doing spinning babies inversions and breech tilts. As the date drew nearer and nearer, I also bought a HypnoBaby's Turning Your Breech Baby Track, which was comforting and gave me confidence that if it were safe and possible, Rosie would turn. I went to an acupuncturist for moxibustion and had my family fast and pray for my baby to turn if it was safe for her. At my 38-week appointment, my midwife double-checked with an ultrasound and Rosie was still breech. She referred me for an external version appointment with Dr. Parker, a very experienced OB with a good track record of successful ECVs, which is where they tried to turn the baby. I met with him at 38 and a half weeks, and he said he could attempt the ECV as soon as that Friday. He said that his policy was to attempt the version and then immediately induce labor or do a C-section, depending on whether it was successful. He had this policy to avoid any chance of the baby being stillborn resultant of any side effects of the version going undetected for several days. 
I still had high hopes of the ECV being successful, but went ahead and wrote up birth plans for the induction and the C-section so that I could be prepared, informed, and assertive for either eventuality. We scheduled the ECV for June 21st, a day before my actual due date. My mom was able to change her flight to a couple of days earlier so that she could be there for the birth. We arrived at the hospital at 6.45 a.m. and the nurse assigned to us got us situated and started monitoring my vitals, etc. She noted that I was having regular contractions every three to four minutes. She said that my body seemed ready to have this baby, except that without Rosie's head resting in my pelvis, there wasn't any pressure on my cervix to dilate and for things to progress. That made me happy because I wanted Rosie to be born when she was developmentally ready, and it seemed like she was. I had originally planned to do the ECV with no pain medication and only use my hypnoanesthesia techniques. But after discussing the matter thoroughly with my doctor and the anesthesiologist, we decided that doing a single dose of epidural would give me the best possible chance of having a successful version, since any tension at all would make it much harder to turn rosy. If the ECV were successful, we could easily let the epidural wear off and go the natural route. And if it were unsuccessful, I would be able to use the epidural for the C-section, rather than the very unlikely chance of needing general anesthesia for an immediate emergency C-section, if there were problems, if I was unmedicated. The anesthesiologist then placed the epidural. Glenn came in front of the bed so he wouldn't see the needle and held my hand while the needle was going in. Afterward, Glenn was super pale and had to lie down on the floor so as not to pass out. Once the epidural kicked in, Dr. Parker began using very assertive pressure on my stomach to attempt to turn Rosie, first trying to move her clockwise, which was a shorter distance to reach head down, and when she wouldn't budge that way, he attempted to turn her counterclockwise. Even with the epidural, the pressure was very intense, and I did the finger drop technique and focused on becoming more and more relaxed with every exhale. It only took about five minutes before he realized that he wouldn't be able to turn her safely. Dr. Parker then turned to me and said, well, should we go ahead and move forward with the C-section? I was extremely disappointed, but I knew that we had done everything we could to birth naturally. So I said, yes, let's do it. All the medical personnel left the room for a few minutes and it was just me, my husband, my mom, and my younger sister. I cried a bit and then asked Glenn to say a prayer for the C-section to go smoothly and safely for me and Rosie. Since Glenn was already a little woozy from the epidural placement, he opted to wait outside during the C-section and accompany Rosie to the nursery while I was being stitched up and sent to recovery. My mom, who was a RN, was happy to be in there with me for the C-section. The anesthesiologist came back and dosed my epidural again so that it would be strong enough for the C-section. Once he confirmed that it was strong enough and high enough, I was wheeled to the surgery room. I had requested that Dr. Parker give me a play-by-play of the procedure so that I would know what was happening to me behind the curtain. My mom stood right next to me and held my hand, and they lowered the curtain enough so that she could see everything that was being done. I didn't feel any pain in my abdomen, although I did feel some in my right shoulder, which was referred pain from the abdomen. When they were pulling Rosie out of my incision, I asked them to lower the curtain so that I could see her right away. I couldn't believe that the tiny, beautiful, dark-haired baby was mine. I started crying and asked them to bring her over to me as soon as possible. Dr. Parker delayed clamping and cutting her cord for a little while since I had requested that. They measured and weighed her, cleaned her up on the warming table, wrapped her in a blanket, and then my mom brought her to me and held her little face by mine. I gave her kisses, told her how much I loved her and how happy I was to finally see her. Then they whisked her away to the nursery with Glenn watching over her. 
Dr. Parker sutured me up, doing the double suture method, which will make it possible for me to have a VBAC next time. They wheeled me back to the same room I started in and began monitoring my vitals. It was two hours before I was taken to the mother-baby floor to be reunited with Rosie. I was pretty upset about that because I wanted to start the skin-to-skin contact and let her nurse right away. I did not like how they didn't respect my wishes about that, but since my legs were numb and I was stuck in bed, there wasn't much I could do about it. Glenn came to the recovery room after they had finished Rosie's bath. He had taken lots of wonderful pictures that he showed me. Then I asked him to hurry back to Rosie so that she wouldn't be without her family until I got to the mother-baby floor. Finally, they moved me to my next room. On our way to my room, we walked by the nursery where Glenn was sitting and rocking Rosie. Once I was settled in my new bed, they brought Rosie to me and I held her on my chest, skin to skin. She started nursing right away. She was so alert and strong and active. I checked out with Rosie at 2 p.m. the next day. All my vitals were good and I successfully walked around a few times. Dr. Parker gave it the green light because my mom is a nurse and could watch over me at home. I have been having a really good recovery and during the first week usually only took half a Percocet for pain rather than the two full pills that I'm allowed to take. Now that it's been a week postpartum, I'm not taking any pain pills and I feel fine. Although I wish I could have done it naturally, I am glad that modern technology made it so I could have Rosie in a way that ended up being safe for her. I'm thankful that I had advanced warning of the possibility of a C-section so I could research ways to make the experience as positive as possible, specify my preferences, and prepare emotionally. The medical team took great care of me, and aside from separating me and Rosie for the first two hours of her life, they respected all of my birth preferences. She is nursing very well, has gained weight since her checkout from the hospital, and we are already very attached to each other. I know that Rosie and I are doing so well as a result of all the prayers my family and friends were saying for me. I have been blessed with good health and a smooth recovery, and I'm so thankful for all the support he has given me and the kindness and support shown to me by other moms with similar experiences and by my family and friends. My little girl is so beautiful, healthy, and strong. Any discomfort or stress I went through during my pregnancy and birthing process was well worth it to bring her safely into my life. I'm so grateful that Christy shared this experience and that we can learn from it. It is wonderful to stay flexible with how our births go. I love that Christy informed herself, made good decisions. The only thing that this makes me think of is that it's important to be aware of a hospital's policy with cesareans. What is their policy after cesarean? Can mom and baby be together right away or will they be separated? And that tends to be a hospital policy. So just being aware of that would have helped her know what to expect or maybe chosen to birth at a different hospital. I'm not sure of all of her options, but that is one thing to be aware of. If you know you're going to have a cesarean, to be aware of their policies at the hospital regarding it. I know that all births can be spiritual, and I love that she felt this in hers. Thanks for joining us today. If you have an experience that you want to share about the spirituality of pregnancy or birth, please contact us. We love having guests on the podcast, or if you prefer to just write up your experience, we are happy to share it on our blog or on Instagram. And also, please share the podcast with your friends. This is how the word gets out that birth and pregnancy can be spiritual. The podcast and our book is one of the greatest ways to share that as well as, of course, you sharing your experiences with your friends. Visit thegiftofgivinglife.com, 
Currently, our newsletter subscribers get free access to our online class, which is growing. And if you want more inspiration, of course, you can always buy The Gift of Giving Life on Amazon, either for yourself or it makes a great gift for any woman you know. Have a great week and know that you are loved.